welcome to Conversations About Life. Well, thank you, Pastor Zach, for uh, allowing me to have a conversation with you for the podcast. And uh, just as a way of introduction, you are the pastor of Centerville Baptist, is that it, or is it First Baptist Church of Centerville? Uh, I think it's technically Centerville First Baptist, but I think we'll accept either. So. Okay. And uh, so we're down here in, I guess, Ozark countries, kind of how I think of it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that. yeah, pretty much. It, it uh, can't get much more in the Ozarks than this, <laughs> out in the middle of the woods. Yeah, it's pretty down here. I yeah. spent the night last night on Bell Mountain. Do oh, you, yeah? Do you know where that's at? I don't. I've never been, but I, I've heard some things about it. How okay. was it? Uh, it was a little rough, humid, the, <laughs> some kind of uh, bug making a lot of noise in the trees oh, <laughs> and stuff. <laughs> but it was, I was glad to be out there. Yeah. Um, so you're kind of new here, and you were telling me just where you kind of bounced around at on your way here, but where did you actually grow up at? Um, I grew up, my childhood was in a small town called Colcamp, Missouri. The closest thing I can think of to it would be Sedalia, Missouri. Okay. So way, way up north up there. Um, I think the closest big city other than Sedalia would probably be Jeff City from Colcamp. Like it wasn't that much of a drive to get there, I don't think. Yeah. Of course, I've never been good with directions, so. <laughs> yeah, me either. Um, and then, you know, you got married, you said you, you went to Branson, so what mm-hmm. took you to Branson? Me, uh, I went, I am um, out of high school. I knew I wanted to go to college. And the best one that I think I could find at the time was College of the Ozarks up there in oh, Branson. Okay. Where, yeah. yeah. And uh, I was very, very pleased to get a fine education. I hope you all are listening from CFO. I am plugging you hard right now. But um, it was really great. I couldn't see myself going anywhere else. And it happened to be the place where that my wife, also, my future wife at the time, also went. So yeah, I got double blessed out of that place. So What was your major in? <laughs> this is funny. My major was in graphic design, and my minor was in philosophy and religion is what it was. Because I fancied myself being um, artistically inclined, and some would tend to agree, but I also felt called to the ministry, and it turns out that I should have majored in what I minored in. So, Okay. And then what were you thinking when you um, minored in philosophy and religion? Like what do you, is that um, normally for ministry? Is that what that degree is for? No, I made a misstep on picking the minor on that one. I, in fact, it was a dying minor, minor major when I got there. In fact, me and this other student were the last ones to ever take it before they phased it out. But a lot of the classes you were required to take were theologically based. Now, okay. I, don't, I don't think you would count it so much if you went to, say, seminary, if it would count for much. But I did learn a lot about... Um, scripture and church history and, and that kind of thing from that major. So, okay. It's funny. Was the philosophy aspect of it uh, significant? Or? It was, we, we had, um, I think it was three, two or three courses specifically about philosophy. One of the classes was literally like, what is man is what the title of the course was. And it was very fascinating to, to talk about those big, big topic questions 
but the pro- you know some say the problem with philosophy is that you have all the questions but none of the answers so yeah and did i interrupt you and just no no you're fine okay you're fine um so is is that college like a, is it a Christian college or is it more of just uh, or just a not secular college? It is definitely a Christian college. They um, uh, it's one. It's I th- I can't remember if it's one of the questions they ask you, and I don't think it has any bearing on you getting in because I know a lot of kids that got in that weren't Christians. Now whether they were truthful about that, I don't know, but um, they have they have a set of standards and rules that is biblically based. It is very conservative college. They don't answer to like the federal government or anything. They're completely self funded by donations and stuff like that. So they can enforce those kind of rules without any oversight. And it's uh, some of the kids had a problem with a lot of the regulations they had. Like you couldn't drink alcohol. You couldn't have like long facial hair and you couldn't, color your hair in unnatural color and a bunch of stuff like that. And that I guess would be okay on other college campuses, but, and you had to dress appropriately and stuff like that. But, um, if you were a believer, I don't think you would have had many, any problem with those regulations and limitations. So, um, you know, you mentioned that philosophy has the questions Mm -hmm. and, um, um, and then, you know, of course, you're a Christian pastor, so mm-hmm. your answer, your worldview is Christian. Mm-hmm. So what gives you confidence that um, in, you know, the way you answer those questions with, what gives you confidence in Christianity? Well, for one, there is all of the historical and lit- literary backup for what the scripture says. That's where I find all of my confidence is that I have um, zero doubt in my mind that the Bible is the inspired word of God and that every word in it is true. And I also can, and, and, and I think the biggest, and people can argue that all day long, and in fact, this is something I was talking, I used to run the youth group up at Ellington, and there was another adult member there that asked a pertinent question about it. He said, well, what do you do when you're talking with someone who's smarter than you? You know, what do you do to to verify the the truth of what you believe in when they can outthink you, out argue you, out debate you. And this is something that I heard. It's like you can argue the facts, but you can't argue your story. And I know that I have been utterly and completely transformed by what the word of God has said. And that is my personal um what was the word you used? Personal uh confidence in 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 my answers to those philosophical questions and there's so many philosophers or you know not self-prescribed philosophers who would say c.s lewis i think might be one of them that said he scripture just makes the most sense out of any other arguments or truths to answer philosophical queries like that so Hmm. okay um so how did um so what what kind of transformation are you talking about like what in what way were you transformed well um i was for one i i know that i was transformed at a at a young like a lot of people would use the argument of age of accountability i don't know if you've ever heard of that before I've heard of it yeah um and usually the cutoff well what would you say usually is the cutoff that you've heard of for that i'm not well, you know, I'm not like a, a proponent of that phrase a whole lot, but Me like, neither. 
but as far as like, I don't know what people think, maybe eight or 11, I'm not, I'm not sure. But I've always heard somewhere around six or seven is what okay. I've heard. But I, I was saved, um, um, became a Christian at seven years old, or a Jesus follower at seven years old, because Christian is such a broad term nowadays. Um, but uh, I, I, you know, as Paul said, I confess with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and believed in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And I knew that I was saved at seven years old. And, and I, it's the funniest story how I got saved. I wasn't saved at a church service. It wasn't at an altar. I was saved in my bedroom watching a film, actually. Um, I, I, I'm a very odd person. Most people will tell you my wife will be the first proponent to, proponent to say that. I'm not a very normal person average person but uh when i was a kid while everyone else was watching like cartoons and stuff i was fascinated with this film about the life of jesus it was literally just called jesus is literally what it was called mm. and it talked about the life of christ from the perspective of the gospel of luke and i would just watch that film over and over and over and over and over again and at the end of such films what do they usually have they have the sinner's prayer at the end right mm -hmm. if you want to know jesus christ as your lord and savior pray this prayer with me and and while I'm not the biggest proponent of the sinners, because so many churches today use the sinner's prayer as, well, great, you're saved, good luck, have fun, you know. Mm -hmm. But I knew, I knew from both that and what I had learned in Sunday school at the time at a very good church, uh, pretty sure it's just called Colcan Baptist Church, um, that I needed what they were offering, what this, what the film was talking about. I needed to know this person. I needed him to control and lord over my life and lead me in the best way and i needed him to escape hell and go to be in heaven with him forever so and so i made that i, I prayed the prayer i made the decision and i felt and i'm not saying feeling something is necessary for salvation but i personally felt different now that doesn't mean i never faced any kind of um Great. In fact, I would say my dad would say it this way. My dad's a preacher. His dad's a preacher. My dad would say this: that isn't it? Wouldn't it be great if when you became a Christian that the devil left you alone? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But he doesn't. In fact, he comes after you harder when you become a threat to him and to his plans. And so, when I was eleven and on from then, I faced even greater temptations than I'd ever felt because hormones and because of what I was discovering about myself and the world around me. But and, but the Lord was there all the time, pulling me back, pulling me back, pulling me back. And I knew that ever since I was seven years old and I got saved, that that's the transformation I was referring to, if that makes sense. And, uh, and I just knew that I was different, I wanted to be different, and I needed, we all really, scripturally speaking, need to be the way God created us to be rather than necessarily what we in our sin want to be if that makes sense. So. so there was that, so that gives you confidence, that transformation that took place in your, your life. Absolutely. And then um, for you, is it kind of like looking back to that event that happened or what sounds like more than just a single event? Like, mm -hmm. is there um, something you carry with you that, um, is, you know, this confidence gives confidence to, um, like, I guess I'm just wondering, um, you know, the Bible, Paul refers to, like in the beginning of Ephesians, um, you know, you've been given the Holy Spirit as down payment and so mm -hmm. forth. And it's like, um, so evidently, if you've been given that, you know it because, you know, the reason 
for him saying that is so that, you know, well, that gives you confidence. You already have this. So, you know, it, there shouldn't be a question like, well, do you have the Holy Spirit or not? Like, mm-hmm. it, how is that for you? Does that uh, seem to be the case that you have an ex- experience with God that you carry with you, you know, daily? Or is it more of looking back to different, boom, 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 you know, different times in your life or, or I don't know. <laughs> I, almost, I almost feel like it might be situational like if you're going through a really hard time in your life you look back at for example me and my my wife we have a three-year-old daughter who was born and it it, by all means it should she should not be here both her and my wife should not be here and it was a very hard time in our lives and when that was happening i kept constantly looking back and saying god has been faithful god has been faithful god has been faithful this is how i know and so I don't know if it's a situational thing where I have to look back at a certain event, but as far as when I'm not going through troubles and trials and tribulations, I I fall back on uh, what Paul said about in Romans 8 about how the Spirit assures us that we belong to Christ and that we can't be taken out of His out of His hand, you know, um, security of salvation and everything. Um, I lost my train of thought. I, I apologize, but. Uh, and I feel like every believer has had a season in their life where they've wondered, where they've wondered, am I really saved? Am I ri-? And I feel like, and I'm not saying that, you sh- that that's a good or a bad thing. I think it happens. But I feel like if you're constantly aware of your, I'm not sure how to put this, if you're constantly aware of your, fallenness of your lacking and you're constantly trying to come to God to reconcile, to build up what is broken, to make perfect what is imperfect. I feel like that's a good understanding of your relationship. If you feel like you're so good in yourself that you don't need to come to God, I feel like that's a flaw in your understanding of your relationship. Um, But, and I, I mean, I'm sure you can attest that there have been times in your life where you've wondered where the devil's gotten into in under your skin or into your mind and said, "Are you really saved? Are you really? Do you do you really believe what you say? Are you truly devoted as you should be?" And I I I felt that multiple times in my life. I've questioned whether it is and what I do at that point is like, "God, please assure me." Assure me of this reality, convince convince me, remind me, show me how. Um, back to those events, how you've been faithful, and uh, remind me what Scripture says about being saved. Because we can feel a whole bunch of different things, but Scripture never changes. You know, and that's why I think we all need to depend more on what God says more than what we're feeling. Yeah. Um, and I'm sorry if I trail on too much. Uh, no, that's I, I, okay. And and I do apologize to our viewers for saying, "Does that make sense?" All the time, my congregation <laughs> will attest that I say that a lot. <laughs> it's fine. Um, well, you you were kind of mentioning there that um, you know, kind of trying to, to draw near to God mm-hmm. and things like that. That's a better way of putting it. <laughs> okay. Like, what does that um, look like? Is that like some things you have set up in your life um is it like a, a structured thing or is it more of just uh the 
attitude of your heart of, or both? Or? It's, it's, it's like a closing off of what I'm feeling and just, just kind of... <laughs> I heard it said this once. It's like telling my brain to shut up almost, you know? And it's like, don't worry about what you're feeling. Go back to what you know. Go back to what that confidence that you have in what the Word of God says and how um, the Word of God is stronger than your situation. It's greater than your feelings. It is... The only, you know, I've heard a pastor say it is the only perfect thing on the planet whereas our feelings and our emotions and our situations are constantly imperfect. And... Um, it, it almost feels like I, like I just close myself off from everything around me for a moment and I just focus in and I say, Lord, Lord, just make, make all things clear to me again like they used to be. Like they used to be um, when, I, when I first found you, when I first drew near, when I first you know, fell in love, when I first accepted you. And I guess... It, it's not entirely structured. It's almost like a, like a desperate cry for help when it comes to those really hard times when I, when, when I start to doubt. And they have been much less in frequency as I've grown in maturity and confidence in what the Word of God says. And this is something that I've even been going through with, with the multiple places that I, that I speak at in the community is that no one started out as a perfect believer. Everyone started out from being an infant and growing into their faith, growing into their confidence, growing into their their walk with God, walking closer with Him. And uh, Are you hearing static at all? I am, a little okay. bit, yeah. I don't know. It might just, hopefully... I hope I'm not... Hmm. Let me... I don't know. I think it's maybe just under headphones, but this thing maybe. But hopefully it's not being picked up on the recorder, but that's weird. I think, well, now I can't hear myself. But Well, um, I don't know. That's just I haven't dealt with that before. Oh, oh, it's it's my phone. Okay, <laughs> all right. Well, anyway, glad we figured that out. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, um, so what's pastoring like? Well, it's before I became a, a senior pastor. I um, my my all my responsibilities, my duties, my my um, rhythm of of living has definitely changed. It's no longer like I it, you, the used what I used to do is that I would fill in at any church that needed someone for whatever reason, and there was a church in Ellington that was looking for a pastor, and so I filled in not every week but every other week. But now that I'm here, I'm you know, I, I, at first I was realizing, wow, I gotta write a sermon every week now. You know, <laughs> and um, 
so that's one thing. And then there's the responsibility of being a being a, an example to 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 all the believers in the church because now I've been given a, a mantle. I've been given. Uh, a platform and but along with that scripture says I am now doubly responsible for everything that I say and teach and um it can be daunting sometimes sometimes I you know I in, in my in my ineptitude and in my ignorance sometimes I wonder if I'm if I've misspoken or if I or if pe- or if I was misunderstood or something like that but it's 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 not too often that that happens um Especially if you base most, if not everything, of what you say on what God's word says. So, and that's what I always endeavor to do. I don't try to put my own spin on everything. I just go with what Jesus is trying to say, and I just echo that. And not just what I say, but in how I live. And I think that's evidently the the foundational responsibility of a pastor is to be like Jesus, so that everyone else knows what that looks like. You know, and and along with that. And, and in that, I don't just have a responsibility to share the gospel with, or to, or to be a pastor to the church. I'm also meant to be, at least I find myself being evangelistic to as many groups as I possibly can. I share at the prison here in town. I go to the nursing home every week. Um, and I'm endeavoring to, there's, there's a lot of other opportunities that I'm trying to be a part of so that I'm not growing stale so that I'm not, you know, so that I'm not uh, only preaching and speaking on Sundays and Wednesdays. Yeah. Um, Well, what... um what has impacted your life? Like, has there been any particular books or particular people or particular events or anything that's just really made a course change or an impact on your life? A few. Okay. <laughs> um, and I can never get the timing of how old I was right. When I was, I want to say, 13 years old, my dad, who... Who, like I said, whose, da- whose dad was a has been a preacher, still alive. The only grandparent I have left, been a preacher for I want to say fifty plus years, and a guy that uh, as the only son and the the only boy in the family, I obviously looked up to him, wanted to be like him. He, um, made a bad choice, was arrested and went to prison for it, and he actually did it, and it was against our like my mother and so against our family and. uh um, that that really impacted me. That made me depend on the Lord as my father in those times. And, and and just to share the ending of that event, he did. He was released early. Um, he 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 was redeemed. He repented of what he had done while he was in prison. He's still with my mother. They're still together, and he is now fulfilling his calling that he was running from for so many years of being a pastor at a church in Hartville, Missouri, and he's been there for, I want to say, at least 10 years now. And uh, that was very impacting to me that God still, for, for one, like I said, that God is my father, even or, or my, my, my source, even when all my human sources fail me, 
that God still desires us even when we fail, even when we make mistakes, even enormous mistakes like that, and he can still use us. In fact, like I said, he's still using that in my life and in my testimony of glorifying himself. And that, and I've said this from the pulpit so many times, I'm just so glad that God doesn't use perfect people because there's no such thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just one, one of the events. Uh, the other one I, I, I disclosed is that my daughter was born mm-hmm. prematurely. Um, and we didn't know if she was gonna gonna make well. The doctors didn't know. Me and my wife and our entire family were pretty convinced that she was gonna be okay. Um, and that and uh, she was in the hospital for four months after she was born, and it was it was trying, it was troubling, it was hard. But she, we know, and I know from that that God definitely has something for her to do. That's why she's alive, I believe, and. And I, well, I know, um, and that uh, I feel like this might be kind of a recurring theme in my life that God, and it's all throughout Scripture too, that God allows bad things to happen, but for the best of reasons, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that you know, it's like Romans eight twenty eight says, God uses everything, everything for good for those who are called by Him and love Him. And a lot of people look at, and that's probably one of my most quoted verses, that in the, ne- in the following verse. One of the most quoted verses I use in my sermons are from that pulpit on Sundays. And a lot of people read that verse and think, well, that means everything that happens to me is going to be good by my definition, and that's just not the case. It means that God uses everything. God uses everything. So, um, like... I think for some people, books and ideas are mm-hmm. a big part of their life. Mm-hmm. And then for other people, it might be more like relational and just mm-hmm. maybe more extroverted people or more like, you know, not so much into like abstract things. Mm-hmm. So are you, do you lean more toward like um, kind of the relational is that uh, where you, um, how you grow and so forth and things like that or... Or not, or I feel like I'm a walking paradox in the fact that I am a pastor, but I'm not very well read. <laughs> I I don't. I I feel like it's a flaw in my thinking that I think maybe the Lord needs to deal with. But I'm I'm not I'm not very well read on books. I enjoy listening to sermons. I enjoy like reading the the commentaries and things like of that nature. If I were to point to a book that I found was inspirational, I, Not a Fan is a big one. Case for Christ is another one. And I'm not sure I finished Case for Christ, but I got the gist of it, and it's very information-heavy if you've ever read it. Um, but I, And you said that relational um, inspiration or influence is usually for a more extroverted kind of people. I am not... <laughs> extroverted I feel like I'm an extroverted introvert if that makes any sense like I I can do well in a crowd but I do not like it there <laughs> um but I and may and that self-diagnosis I've never taken a test I don't really know mm-hmm. exactly what I am but I know that I often find myself doing 
feeling more fulfilled and more content when I'm alone than when I'm with a group. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that, if that means anything one way or the other. Um, but yes, to, answer, to finally answer your question, I apologize for that. I do feel like I'm more relational, relationally influenced and that kind of thing. And I'm just not very well read, so I apologize for that. That's <laughs> okay. Um, um, so what do you find real satisfying? You said, you know, when you're alone, but like, are there certain, um, I don't know, activities or certain things certain with, with certain people or what, just what really resonates with you in life that you just find really satisfying when you're involved with it or doing it? Or? I always enjoy a good film or a good show like most of us do. Um, I, um, I, I, I would be considered a buff, I guess, or a, or a, or a, I never really liked the term cinephile, but I guess it applies. I know a lot about them. I like to know the history of them, how they're made. I love documentaries about them. I like to rewatch them and tear them apart. Uh, I, I enjoy, like I said, I, I went to school for graphic design, so I enjoy doing artwork, sketching, and, and, and putting my ideas on paper so that others can see them. And in fact, I'm kind of lazy and cheap in the way that that's what I've done for my family for a few years at Christmas. I don't buy them anything. I just ask them what they want to sketch of, and then I just give it to them. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe I have this 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 uh, weird and vain ambition that maybe they'll be worth something someday. I don't know, <laughs> but uh, hmm. they seem to enjoy them, and so I just kind of take it as it is and. Well, and as you know, every artist is their own worst critic, so I don't think much of them, but everyone else seems to, so I listen to them, not me. Mm-hmm. And I am not, despite where I'm living right now, I'm not a very outdoorsy person. I kind of, especially now, I abhor this heat and this this um, humidity that's going on right now. My mom would always say it this way, oh man, the stupidity's really high today. I don't understand. Um I mean, I enjoy looking at it. I enjoy, I I appreciate the presence of it, but I'd much rather be inside in the cool air conditioning than outside in the heat. And I know that is very contrary to most of the other men in this area. So I guess I got some more learning to do. Um, You know, concerning movies, um, do you, is it for you, is it just entertainment or do you find movies meaningful somehow? Like, you know, I get involved. Okay. I get involved in film and, and like, and I feel I never really realized it till now, but I feel like if I don't have a response to it, that's almost what defines if it's a good movie or not. Almost, you know, um, th- there are certain films that I know that I will have a emotional response. Just for instance, have you ever seen the Patriot? No, I'm, I haven't seen it. No. Oh. Um, uh, do, um, but I've seen it so many times and there's always one moment in that film where I know I know that I will tear up hmm. even before I had a daughter I knew I would tear up and so, those of you who've seen it will know what I'm talking about probably and I, every time it comes up I'm like I'm not going to cry I'm not going to cry and then every time I do my wife loves to watch that movie just to make it happen you know um, I've I <sighs> I I love stories. I see them as stories more than just entertainment, if that answers your question. I love to 
And I feel like as, as a pastor, I'm finding more and more connections to all of these stories that people have created to the original story, you know, and how it has influenced it, how those things are what I like to see, how the, the, the values of scripture, the values of Christianity are kind of in things that may not necessarily be Christian, that may not necessarily be faith-based. And let's, let's be honest real quick, most faith-based movies are not very good. And I know that people are trying to fix that nowadays. And they have gotten better. They definitely have gotten better over the years with uh, things like that. So. so no, I don't see them as just a way to escape or a way to waste time. I connect and I remember and I learn from them. So, Yeah. Well, it's kind of interesting, just the whole um, subject of story, mm-hmm. because it seems like there's something philosophical to it that I don't really grasp or can't communicate, but it just, just that our lives are story. That's mm-hmm. how God communicates to us through story. Um, I guess like when God put time into existence, then that, you know, story began. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, but I don't really know what, to, I know some people have like talked about, you know, kind of came up with archetype, archetypical mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. and like, yeah. and things like that. And, um, so I don't know really what to say about it, except that it seems like story can be profound. It's, it's like one thing that really can capture a person even a little mm-hmm. kid if they um they, i remember when i was real little and a, a good story would just grab me and mm-hmm. it still does um sometimes so what was that what, what would be an example of a story that grabbed you as a kid um i'm just curious yeah i don't know um you know, when I, I I just remember experiences of the librarian who was a good storyteller reading okay. stories mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. just having us on the edge of our seat. Yeah. Um, so I don't remember just when I was a little kid so much, but just growing up, you know, different things. A lot of the things that have been significant to other people, mm-hmm. um, the Chronicles of Nardia. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, you know, I know some people are not fans of Harry Potter stories, but um, they. Um, <clears throat> You know, they were they were pretty much of a page turner to me. Yeah, and not really in a profound sense, except the first one. You know, you're talking about parallels mm-hmm. or things related to the Christian story. Mm-hmm. You know, I do see that sometimes in stories, mm-hmm. and like the first Harry Potter. You know, he had this destiny he didn't mm-hmm. know about, and it's like, well, we have a destiny we don't know about until we're exposed to it through the Bible. You know, right. but like we were. You know, we're something special, created in the image of God, mm-hmm. redeemed. And it's like, it just comes alive in the pages of Scripture, and we just don't know. And now there's this great destiny for us. So, you know, sometimes there, I, I think of parallels that were maybe not intentional, or maybe they were, I don't know. But um, So that's, it, it is interesting to me. And uh, C.S. Lewis talked about how the power of myth mm-hmm. um, can... Um, give you that feeling like when I, I'm going to be a different person when I'm done reading this. It's going to be that powerful, like this yeah. is changing my life as I'm reading it, you mm-hmm. know. Well, and uh, I've recently been watching uh, a documentary uh, called Light and Magic. Talk, I don't know if you've heard of it, where um, 
when George Lucas was making the Star Wars films, he basically created a visual effects company now known as Industrial Light and Magic, because all the other firm or um, yeah companies just couldn't cut couldn't fit couldn't fit the bill of what he was needing for his film and how when he was in college, he you know his dad I think his dad wanted him I forgot what his dad wanted him to be but it was something that was monotonous and repetitive and he's like I don't want to do that. So he went to college, not knowing what he was going to do, and he got interested in anthropology and the, the history of myth and how all whole civilizations were defined by stories, hmm. by yeah. myths and stuff like that, and how un, undeniably and yet somehow inexplicably powerful they are in yeah. the influencing of people and entire groups for generations yeah right and we have the western story Mm -hmm. um, which is influenced by Christianity but Mm -hmm. in the east it's a different story Mm -hmm. and uh, there's different outcomes and so forth right right and I I love how there are as, as different as the outcomes may be the origins are often so similar most of them have a creation story most of them have a flood story most of them have um, a kind of Christ-like figure with with a deity employed upon him or in, or, or, or inherent upon, within him, or and as some kind of sacrifice given for humanity and hmm. stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And I just can't help. Most people can't help but think there has there may be some kind of validity in. Um, well, it's like Paul says in Scripture that if you go to speak to someone, bring witnesses with you. And I feel almost as if all the all these different similarities are bearing witness about the authenticity of the original story, the original true story. Because it's interesting how Scripture is both nonfiction, but it can delve into the realm of the fantastical at the same time. And I think that's why I love its story the best. Because hmm. it's true. Like all that, all those fantastical things with giants and giant fish and huge floods and you know miraculous um, plagues brought upon those of the hard-hearted and that they're true that there is a spiritual reality beyond this one and so I don't know I'm not sure. I don't know I'm. <laughs> You're 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 kind of making me think with a different muscle of my brain today, and I appreciate it. So, you know, I've this has been on my mind is from a message I heard, the, mm-hmm. just the whole idea of abiding in Christ. Mm-hmm. So that you know, I've just been kind of turning that around, and just would like to ask you what you think about it, as far as like, you know, if what does that look like as far as like you're going to spend this afternoon abiding in Christ? Mm-hmm. You know, what would that mean for you? Um, you know, we're um, disciples or apprentices of Christ. And part of that is like being with the master. So, uh, you know, how do you go about just being with the master, abiding in Christ, you know, dwelling in him? You have any thoughts about that? One thing that I think, and and, and I keep circling back to it, all the time is that one thing that some even believers might forget is that Christ is not an idea. It's not a, it's not a, 
teaching. It's not a life cycle, not a life cycle, a, it's not a life skill or something you subscribe to. He's a person. He's a person who is actually with you, who's actually in your space, who is um, aware of what you're doing. And I think that's the foundational, oh, I'm sorry, I moved my mic too close. It's okay. That's the foundational understanding of abiding with Christ is that you're not abiding with a dead man. You're abiding with a living being who is with you, living person who's with you. And in, in light of that, I guess the best way I can describe it is, and it's at least twice in scripture where it says, and it defines what worship is, is that do everything to the glory of God. One, I feel like I'm like Paul. I know it's in there, but I don't know exactly where it is because he'll do that. It's like, it says in scripture somewhere mm-hmm. um, that, uh, and it was on the, Dagum wall of the cafeteria at CFO, where it says, whether you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. And while that is the outcome of abiding with Christ, and I've said this even recently from the pulpit, is that we don't glorify him, or we, if we only glorify him out of some kind of loyalty or obligation it won't last it won't last through the hard times which is why paul says in the end three things remain faith hope and love but the greatest of these is love and what has god commanded us to do to love other people as we love ourselves and to love him with all the all of our heart soul mind and strength all that he's given us and so abiding with him is at its core to love him for who he is who he has who he has described himself to be and what he has said he is doing in our lives. And it says at the somewhere in Matthew, it says, yeah, I'm a pastor. I don't know where these things are. Somewhere in Matthew, it says, let us endeavor to understand. I may not know. It's not a Matthew. It can't be a Matthew. I know Paul said it, but he said, let us endeavor to know the height and the depth and the width and the length of the love of Christ. And that that should be our main desire that should be our main focus and not just when we're at church but when we're washing the dishes when we're hanging out with our kids when we're sitting down and deciding what to what to watch on television or whether we should or shouldn't how we spend our time it's basic and i feel like i'm circling around what I'm trying to say, the basically abiding with Christ is including him in the pattern and the rhythm of your life. If that makes, if that makes sense. So, so, um, so knowing his love, the height, the death, the width and mm-hmm. breath, you know, like, and, um, including him, I guess that's kind of like focusing on him being yeah. cognizant. Of, Prioritizing him. Yeah. Right. And, um, um, so I guess, you know, that makes sense. Like experiencing his love, mm-hmm. knowing it, um, maybe that comes through meditation on scripture or... Um, definitely, definitely. Like so many... I, I don't understand how people... Well, okay, I do understand. I do understand because we all started out that way as, as non-believers as being lost, trying to live a good life without Christ but I don't I, I, and I I feel like we've all, we're all tempted to do that to kind of settle for what we know rather than delve more into the person and the experience of who he is 
and that the like I said, the more we delve into, the more we understand of the height and depth and all those things, the more I mean, what else could we do but love him more than we already do? And there was a song that I heard that's like to to love Christ is to just want to love him more, to know him is to want to know him more. And 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 how do we know about Christ any greater than through the word that God gave us? Because without that, we wouldn't know anything about him. As like as a, as a whole, God right. does reveal himself to individuals, mm-hmm. and he has for generations. But now, because of the word, we're all on the same page. And the, I guess what I was trying to say earlier is that some people try to live their life for Christ without ever look, having, looking at it, without ever opening it, without it, the word of God being present in their life in any meaningful way. Um, and I've heard, this is what I've heard, is that some people will say, man, I wish I could hear from God the way Abraham did, the way Noah did, the way Moses did. But then I feel like if we could ask them their opinion, they'd be like, man, I wish I had the Bible. You know, mm-hmm. I wish I had the complete revelation that I knew where it was going, you know. And we know, I mean, we know, we know the past. We know what Jesus has done thousands of years ago, but we also know where it's headed. Those guys didn't. Not, not, as, much, not as clearly as we do from what the scripture says, the record says. So, Yeah. So it's, um, so we got the Bible. So as we meditate on it, mm-hmm. we um, just reminding ourselves and coming to know more of the, the love of Christ and how, and, I, and hopefully experiencing that. And I guess the spirits at work too, because mm-hmm. we don't want this just to be words on a page. We exactly. want to actually be full of joy. We yeah. want to be feeling it, you know? Oh, yeah. 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 And, and I've, feel like I'm coming up on a full thought as we're con- as we're going through this conversation is that um I keep moving away from the mic I'm sorry I'll just sit right here <laughs> stay in this box right here um but the word of god is just like any other book without the author like people read the bible and it doesn't do anything for them because they're not having any kind of meaningful connection with the guy who wrote it and I've said this from the pulpit, and it, it scared me. It really scared me to say it, but that the Word of God is completely useless without the Spirit, without God interpreting it for us. Giving, or as Jesus says in Revelation, giving us ears to hear and eyes to see what the Lord has for us. And so many people trip through life because they're just reading the Word and not really, as you say, meditating on it, letting the Spirit interpret it for us, show us how to apply it to our lives because Jesus said it best where this woman came up to Jesus and said blessed is the the womb from where you came the woman who gave birth to you and Jesus said even more blessed are those who hear my word and do what it says even more blessed than my family my own mother even more blessed are those who hear what I say and then do it and that's where you know well that's where the experience comes from I mean People say, well, it's hard. It's hard to remember what the, to memorize the Word of God. And it's like, well, you remember the lyrics to your favorite song. You remember the lines to your favorite movie. You remember, you can even remember stuff on the menu of your favorite restaurant better than you remember the Word of God because you experienced those things. Because you, it, it had an impact on you. And what I think the problem might be, might be, is that people close themselves off from letting the word be more than just truth 
but letting it be applicable truth, letting it be a definition of your life. And, that, and, and, and Jesus goes at great length multiple times to say, you can't do that without my help. You can't do that without my presence in your life. You can't do that without the Spirit being a helper for you. You know, so we need both. We we definitely need the word, but the word on its own won't do anything. It is, as with all things, Jesus is what makes things happen. Jesus is what makes things better. Jesus is what brings life. So, what does that mean? Does that mean we need to be asking him for his help with it, or? Well, it's it's like you said, um, abiding with Christ. We do do we abide in him? Are we considering him? Are we listening to what he is saying to us through the word? Or are we putting our own interpretations, our own spin, our own comforts and discomforts in what the word is saying to us? And the I feel like the best men and women that have been in, influenced by the word are those that come to it as Jesus says, poor in spirit, those who have been emptied completely of themselves. In fact, in, in, in a lot of people's personal life, it's when they are most desperate, and then they look at the Word of God, and then it does something powerful in their lives. I mean, you hear about stories about people who are thinking of committing suicide, people who are considering a huge, huge choice in their life that could leave a lasting impact on not just them, but the people around them. And then they literally had nowhere else to go. They come to God, they come to God through the word and then it changes everything. So, and, and asking him for help, asking him for help. Hmm. What's the word? I mean, right, 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 right. I mean, I do think we need to be a bit more, what's the word I'm looking for? purposeful and 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 I'm I'm probably going to make up a word that doesn't exist but implementive about his, or, or or inclusive about his the reality of his presence in our time with the word um so it, and and that that could be in the form of literally just opening your mouth and saying lord help me with what what you want me to get out of this and so that, that leads to the other part of abiding with Christ is through the word, it is through the presence of Christ, but it is also through open communication with him. Because there are things that God, maybe there are things that God can tell you specifically that aren't necessarily found in the words of the scriptures. And that's really why God gave us prayers, because not because he needs to hear from us, but we need to hear from him. We need to have an open dialogue with him. And so I guess that's essentially what you're asking, with asking Christ to help us. That, that is an act of prayer, conversing with the Almighty. The way my granddad put it is that, and, and what does Paul say about prayer? That we need to pray all the time. Don't, don't stop praying. Now, does that mean that we are always walking around on our knees with our eyes closed and our hands clasped everywhere we go, even when we're driving? No. Granddad, my granddad, who's a preacher, said, put it this way, we need to have an attitude of conversation with God. Almost like we have a, to put a physical spin on it, a Bluetooth speaker in our head, always in conversation with God continually. And I feel like that's those, those things in, uni, in, 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 in <laughs> complementary work together are what make up a successful, 
a true disciple, if you want to put it that way. So, Are you familiar with Brother Lawrence and his um, little book about practicing the presence of God? I'm not. Okay. So he was a medieval monk. Okay. But it just reminds me that a lot of these things are just kind of like Christian truths that are just restated in different generations in just mm-hmm. different ways and different words. But um, he was, he worked in um, the kitchen and he um, talked about how whether he's on his knees in, in prayer before like the bread and the wine and, you know, at the altar and, or whether he's um, in the kitchen washing dishes, you know, it's uh, kind of the same to him that he's, um, you know, living his life in uh, communion with God and doing what he's doing unto God and just, you know, kind of like what you're saying, but in different words about, um, I guess, just kind of that um, focus, uh, bringing ourselves um, back. And I I guess maybe it's like a matter of kind of like training of um, just... um, you know, just our, our being caught up in, in God, I guess, and just mm-hmm. our, our lives and all, all that we're doing and so forth. And uh. One of the greatest weapons that the enemy uses against us, I've discovered in my life and in those around us, is the uh, idea of distraction, making us consider other things more than we consider God or putting our focus and our priority on lesser things, on worldly things or as jesus would put it laying up our treasures on earth rather than in heaven and it really is like it is a as you say a a, like a i'm so at a loss for words and it's always at the worst possible time it's 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 like a a skill that you learn but it is also like we were saying something that you experience it's not all on you to learn how to focus on God, but God is worthy of our focus, you know. And uh, you said Brother Lawrence was his name. Mm-hmm. I, I think he put it better than I did, to be honest. Um, that God is not just in your chapels or your cathedrals or your steeples or your churches. And I've learned this so clearly, and I've preached this even so clearly that when I go to those prisons, is that Christ is there. That when I go to the nursing home, Christ is there. When I go home and and love my daughter, my wife, Christ is there. When I am all alone and I feel like no one, no one, no one else is there, Christ is there. And I think the more, the more that we are aware of that, the more that we are um, purposeful about responding to that, the more like Christ we will be. I mean that that's exercised no more clearly than in the life of Christ. I mean, Christ was always and continually aware of the people around him, but he was also always and continually aware of the God that he was in communion with at all times. So much so that he couldn't, it's, I don't want to put it that way, to where he felt compelled. No, that's not right, because no one compels Jesus. He always openly chose to pray with God in every single chance that he had, even if he lost sleep over it, even if he you know, Jesus put it this way, you need to love me more than you love anyone else in your life. Um, and Jesus exercised that in, in, in so much that people 
might have been like, well, where, where is he? Where's Jesus at? Oh, he's praying again, you know. But he did uh, take but, naps, and he did true. celebrate, and he was at parties sometimes, too. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and, and I don't think he was any less in communion with God, even in those times. Yeah. But, but there's definitely a difference, and, 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 and a more closeness, not more closeness, but a, there's a difference between being with God during a nap than being with God in prayer. And, and, and I, I, there's no record to back me up on this, but I feel like Christ probably prayed more than he napped. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I can't, I can't verify that. I can't, I wasn't there. Wish I was sometimes. Yeah. Well, yeah, I, I recently heard someone talk about, um, being an imitator of God, of, of Jesus mm -hmm. and his lifestyle. Like, um, um, and just that he did um, give a lot. Well, sometimes we, our lifestyles work against us, like just the busyness we're, we're in, and right. and so forth. And um, anyway, I think of like one thing I'm just thinking of now is like when he was talking to the woman at the well, and he mm -hmm. said, you know, this was kind of like food to him, you know. So mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. if everything we're doing is doing it to please God, even just simple mundane things. Mm -hmm. um, I can see how that could be like spiritual food to us, you know? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that, that is, those are the, I, my, my congregation, if they're, if you're listening to this, you're probably tired of hearing this, but I hope you're not that I always say there's two reasons. There's probably more than two, but there are two main reasons I keep coming back to why we're even here. Like why, why doesn't God just take us away? As soon as we accept him, why are we still here on earth? Two reasons. One, we are meant to, we are created to please him. We are created for his pleasure. We are created not for our own pleasure, for our own kingdom to be built, but for his. And the other reason is that we are here to bear witness. We are here for those who don't know him. And how, and those two things have to work in, in, in union and in communion together is that we don't just, tell people, although we should tell people, but we also please God before others. And that if we're not, and that that's what Jesus did, you know, he pleased God before others and he opened his mouth and told people what they did not know. Well, here is, as we're kind of just wrapping things up, how would you put it in like a a nutshell, um, you know, if anyone's listening who's, uh, you know, outside of the Christian faith mm -hmm. and, um, you know, they find it attractive or whatever, you know, um, how would you kind of put the way in, so to speak, where they can be a part of this, the, this group of people who are considered the blessed and called of God, mm -hmm. you know, as Paul puts it. I guess not to be too um, uh, cheesy or sentimental about it, but there's a saying on the front of our church here that might be hopeful for anyone who's listening. And it's two simple words, and it says, everyone's welcome. Everyone is welcome. Jesus, it's, it says in Jeremiah, I believe, that God desires for all men to be saved. He knows not everyone will, because it says, narrow is the way that leads to life, and few will find it. But if you 
listener are feeling the pull and the attraction of God on your life, um, God, that, that is not just you. God is desiring you. God gave his life for you. And he desires greater things for all of us that we can never find on our own, that we would be lost without his revelation, without his leading, and without his purposes awake and alive in our lives. And um, if you ask anyone, I, I mean, I can't say anyone, very, I, no, I would say anyone, anyone who is truly and completely given over or accepting and believing in the person and the work of Christ, they have no regrets about doing that. They have no, um, they may have questions, they may have doubts, they may have worries, but they have no regrets about doing that. And that it is the best decision that we've ever had. Now, I'm just a Missouri boy. I've never really lived anywhere outside of Missouri, so I may be completely ignorant in that statement, but everyone that I've ever spoken to who is a Christian never regrets that decision. And in fact, in fact, I've spoken to people who became a Christian much later in life and say, man, I wish I would have made this decision sooner. As with any good decision that we have in our lives, we wish we would have done it sooner, you know? And it's, it's not something to wait on. It's not something to miss out on. And it's not something to, um, Say, it's not something that you, it's not something you take lightly. Jesus never took it lightly to make this decision, but if you give yourself wholly completely over to it, you will not be disappointed. Okay. Well, thanks, Pastor Zach. I appreciate the conversation. It's been good talking with you and get, getting to know you better, and just, so I've enjoyed it. Thanks a lot. No problem. I've enjoyed it too. Thank you very much.